and welcome. You're listening to the Six Degrees podcast, where we will have candid discussions about some of the most pressing healthcare technology topics with industry thought leaders. Each episode contains powerful lessons to help you lead the digital revolution taking place in our increasingly complex healthcare ecosystem. This is episode nine, Through the Looking Glass. I'm Kevin Baldwin, a professor and healthcare technologist. Today, we'll discuss the role of emerging technologies in the future of healthcare delivery with technology and healthcare entrepreneur, Drew Schiller. Drew is co-founder and CEO at Validic, the leading digital health platform for personal health data. Additionally, he is board chair of the Consumer Technology Association Health Division and serves on the boards for the eHealth Initiative and the North Carolina Council for Entrepreneurial Development. Drew also served as a team member for the Clinical Trials Transformation Institute project, advancing the use of mobile technologies for data capture and improved clinical trials, and previously served on the Federal Advisory Committee Joint API Task Force on Meaningful Use Stage 3. Welcome, Drew, and thanks for joining us today. Really glad to be here. So I'd like to start by learning a little bit more about you and your personal background. Could you share with us your story? Sure. Uh, You know, I have always been uh, a bit of a geek and a bit of an entrepreneur. So um, when I was a kid, I was doing things like starting a neighborhood newspaper. And when I was in high school, um, I was in a a brass quartet with my high school and I would find us uh, gigs around town that would try and try to get us paid on the weekends to play our instruments. So I've always been very um, entrepreneurial and thinking about how the work that I'm doing can turn into a business, not just something that I do for a hobby. So I guess that has always been my hobby. And I went to to college for a, a very lucky combination of skills. Uh, my, my undergraduate studies were in graphic design and computer science. And this was before user experience design and design thinking was really well known in the in the in the zeitgeist and very popular and necessary and, and certainly in healthcare, let alone other business circles. And so, leaving college with that skill set, I had already developed a number of clients while I was in college. Again, turning my my passions into business. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, right out of college, I started a, a web development firm that went on to be really award winning and and got to we we developed a specific niche in the. Uh, in the economic development sector. And that was sort of what led up to ultimately, that was the, the business that I was working on when I started Validic. Absolutely fascinating. So how did you come up with the idea for Validic? What was the, the inspiration behind it? Yeah, um, you know, sometimes better be lucky than good. So one of my best friends from college, we uh, was my co-founder, Ryan Becklin. And when we started the company, we'd actually always wanted to start a business together. And he came to me and said, hey, look, I want to do something in healthcare around health behaviors. My wife is actually a clinical psychologist. And so hmm. we have this, when, when all of us got together, we had a lot of conversations around behavior change and the fact that a lot of literature would sit on the books, or sorry, sit on the shelves uh, around behavior change and not be actually deployed through engaging technology solutions. So we really thought hard about, you know, how could we build some technology that would engage people in healthy activities? And in a very roundabout way, we ended up ultimately determining that the right solution for us was to uh, start building a uh, health engagement platform targeted toward large self-insured employers that would take data from personal health apps, wearables, et cetera, and actually motivate, use motivational interviewing, as well as other techniques to, um, to motivate individuals to participate in those healthy behaviors. And the concept of Validic actually came from scratching our own itch because 
This was in, uh, in 2012 when we were building out this platform. And as we started to connect with all these devices, that ended up taking up all of our time. So, so actually building and maintaining connect connections to, at the time it was you know, Fitbit and Nike Fuel Band and RunKeeper and MyFitnessPal, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And as we were building out all those connections, we thought we're never going to get to all of the cool science stuff that we want to build because we're stuck here building all these connections all the time. And that's, that's table stakes for us. So as we started talking with other folks in the market who actually might have even eventually been our competitors, we realized that everybody had this challenge of accessing the data from all these personal health apps and devices. And so in early 2013, we thought, well, hey, what if we solve that problem for everybody else so that they can then build all of the things they want to build and we can just focus on building the data integration. So that's what happened. We, we market tested that in early 2013. It was the first time we felt real product market fit. You know, people were coming to us saying, oh my gosh, you know, I, my hair is on fire and this is the only bucket of water I can find basically, you know? And so with, um, you know, basically what we build, we built with Validic is the ability to capture data from any in-home monitoring device, wearable health app on the phone, bring that into a health IT application or a wellness IT application um, or a health system or health plan. And, you know, now we have over 500 disparate sources connected to that platform, everything, you know, all the way down the stack to very clinical devices like CGM and, uh, and you know, pulse oximeters and thermometers, et cetera. As, and we, we have over 5 million people on the platform every day from clients spanning, you know, the top five commercial health plans to uh, large health systems like Kaiser Permanente and uh, some of the, you know, well-known direct consumer brands like WW and AARP and Noom. So we've been really fortunate to find something that's, that's scaled that is fantastic and, and tremendous growth that you've had over the, the last few years. Could you uh, maybe break down the technology behind Validic a little bit? How, how does it actually work? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the key tenants of Validic when we first launched, and this is actually just hard for any startup in healthcare, is that nobody trusts you with their data. And yet we're a data platform. And so how do you, it's a real chicken and egg problem. And so in a very, very early design decision that we made at Validic ended up being a great design decision for our clients and our scale, which is that the only data that we have in Validic is de-identified. And the way that works is um, uh, I don't have, for example, your Fitbit data or your Apple Watch data. I don't have everybody's, right? I only mm -hmm. have yours if you specifically authorized it for a particular program. And so what, our, what we allow our clients to do is build the authorization into their uh, mobile or web application. That authorization says, you know, yes, I allow um, this healthcare organization to access my data from this device or from this Bluetooth device, whatever the case may be. And then once that authorization is handled, we actually have a tokening mechanism on our side where we have tokens that represent that particular individual and that device. Um, and on our side, and we have tokens that represent that individual with our client on the other side. And so in, in our system, we're just matching the tokens and delivering the data associated with that token to have no uh, identifiable information for that particular individual. And we, we do have some abilities to actually now bring, as we've kind of advanced our technology, on top of that core data platform, we've built some really advanced remote monitoring capabilities that can deliver these data in the clinical workflow. It's powering, for example, the largest remote monitoring program in the country with a large IDN nationally. And uh, with that particular solution, we do have identifiable information there. But again, as that's a client to our core data platform. And so it's just pulling the, the data off of that and delivering. It's using 
the data once it's re-identified in that application to deliver the data into the clinical workflow for clinicians to react to the information. Great, thank you. And, and could you talk a little bit more about the Validic API? How do customers actually connect to that? If I'm a hospital looking to, to connect to it, what, what are the steps involved? Yeah, you know, it's so it's a super simple API for a technologist. And also we found that most of the time health systems are uh, not necessarily the best consumer of our API. And so I'll talk about both of those things. One is on the technology side, and this is what you know, health plans love about our system, as well as uh, large health IT vendors. We are a platform first company. It's a streaming API. The way it works is you, you connect your system up to our stream. And then anytime there's data that hits our system, you get the data from that individual member within, I mean, you know, sub, sub seconds. Uh, and that's processing through our rules engine, which processes a lot of data. You know, we have over, like I said, we have over 5 million people. So the data is collected from the actual individual, whether it's through a Bluetooth device or whether it's through a device that connects to the cloud that hits our system, processes it through our rules engine, and we deliver that. Um, and it's usually, you know, one to two seconds max to get all the way through that workflow. Um, so it's very, very fast and robust. You can, you can have very interesting real-time engagement that previously hasn't been possible in healthcare. So for example, you know, we can drive workflows where instead of, for a, heart, for a heart failure patient, someone stepping on a scale, gaining more than three pounds and sending, you know, flagging an alert for a care manager who might see it in 20, 30 minutes, and then they try to reach out to the patient. It's very asynchronous care. We can actually create real-time types of engagement. So, you know, imagine patient steps on a weight scale and then right then and there, they get a, a, a message back on their phone. Was this you stepped on a scale? Are you having difficulty breathing? Are you having swelling in the extremities? And then based on that, if they are having those complications, we can actually kick off, you know, a telehealth visit through, you know, an Amwell or a Teladoc, et cetera, um, where they're actually immediately getting on the phone with a care provider or a nurse um, who can triage that particular individual and say, hey, we need you to double up in your Lasix, or we need you to come in for, for an observation. Can, can you get here? Do we need to send a car? Whatever the case may be. So, um, so that's sort of the the high level types of interactions we're driving. And when I say health systems aren't necessarily great at using our API, it's fantastic for things like powering population health analytics and things like that, where you wanna bring in all of the data across your entire member population, not just you know, for your inpatient information in your labs, but then also the data from, pe from people's personal lives, as well as the alerts that are triggered and what the triage was and all that. That's important from a population health perspective and our APIs are great for that. But for remote monitoring and care management, it's actually a, a, a real challenge to bring the data in and, and do something meaningful from a clinical perspective for clinicians. So that's why we built that real-time uh, remote monitoring framework mm. that can be embedded into a clinical workflow. So for example, the IDN I mentioned where that's deployed, um, that has over 50,000 patients active in that program. There's been over 100,000 active over the last few years across multiple regions. And the way that that works is we're actually writing data directly into the flow sheets. Um, we're surfacing alerts uh, via the in-basket messages. We're actually, um, we, we are visually integrated where the data can actually be implemented and longitudinally viewed inside of the workflow so that uh, the care team members can see the data there. And then we can also kick off workflows that go directly to the patients. And that's a lot of work that a tech team at a health system would have to do to build out 
all of those things, it took us years to build and, you know, millions of dollars of investment. Right. So, so, you know, what we, what we're finding is the health systems are, are leveraging those core capabilities that we offer, which then allows them to then focus on, well, how do we want to bring this, you know, match up this information with our population health tool, or how do we want to, you know, use our, our uh, patient engagement uh, criteria and capabilities alongside these data, et cetera. So that's really the kind of thing that we help to, to power. Great. And uh, so Validic and, and much of the work that you've been focusing on for the last decade or so has really been focused on connecting these disparate uh, sources of health data. Overall, and in, in, you know, from your perspective, how much progress do you think the healthcare industry has made? It's, it's in many ways, it's made great progress. Yeah. In a lot of ways, it's made very little. And I'll, 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 I'll unpack that. So healthcare always fascinates me because it is simultaneously the most technologically advanced, uh, one of the most technologically advanced industries in the world. And yet many practices still run on paper and fax machines right. and pagers, right? And so it's just, it's, 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 it's crazy to me because, you know, we can do things like using AI to detect, you know, image scans, to detect abnormalities on image scans, or, you know, having like really amazing world-class sensors on a wearable that costs us, you know, a couple hundred bucks that can get amazing things like your, you know, galvanic skin response and your temperature and your heart rate at like pretty accurate levels, right? Uh, and now EKG. And so it's fascinating. So from that perspective, in terms of the sensor development, there's been so much progress. Mm -hmm. um, in terms of the ability for clinical systems inside of large healthcare organizations to actually use these data, there's been very little progress. And, and primarily it's because they weren't designed for it, right? Like they were designed to be billing systems and to track how patients get billed through CMS fundamentally. And so trying to get that solution to, to now work with all of these advanced capabilities from sensors in the real world is just, it's, it's, it doesn't exactly fit very well. And that's why we built our, our solution to be embedded into those systems so that you don't have to try to augment one of those state billing tools to leverage, to, to deal with personal health data. You can actually just leverage our system to do that heavy lifting for you. That's amazing. So what is your business case for health systems dealing with this very issue? It's actually a pretty simple business case uh, for a boardroom because the dynamics of this country are changing so rapidly. So, I mean, we all know the stats around aging population, right? We had 10,000 people are aging into Medicare and turning 65 every single day. That's today, it's about 17% of the population. Within a few years, it's going to be about 22% of the population. By 2040, it'll be a quarter of the population. I mean, it's just growing dramatically, right? So everyone understands that dynamic. And eight out of 10 of those individuals who are 65 or older have multiple chronic conditions. So they need a lot more care. On the other side, we have a workforce that is burning out. 75% of healthcare workers are experiencing burnout uh, and the pandemic has not helped at all. And we're already facing you know, about a million workers shortage of healthcare workers in this country by 2025. So it's very clear that the work that we're doing is not sustainable, right? We can't keep providing the same care to, to more people who need it more with fewer people providing the care and see improved outcomes. Um, and so that's kind of the, the macroeconomics. And then from a, um, the things that are, that are exciting to me that are starting to change is that providers recognize this, payers recognize this, and they're starting to come together. So 
right now we're seeing that that value-based care relationships are going to grow by about 40 percent between 2020 and 2025 uh, it's just a huge opportunity it, the value-based care billing will be about a, a trillion dollars um, in direct healthcare billing by 2025 so there's just a, a huge shift toward actual aligning you know improved quality of care and improved health outcomes to in, to streamline healthcare expenses and that's really where we come in because when you have episodic care, which requires, it's, it's very administratively heavy on both providers as well as care managers um, and their teams. When you have that environment, you have a situation where providers are less informed. So they have no idea what's happening to a person in their daily life. And they're, they're sort of reacting to information as it comes at them from a patient. They have no idea what a patient's gonna really come into uh, to the appointment with. And so we actually, you know, we look at it and say, well, 99% of our lives are spent outside the four walls of the healthcare system. We're generating healthcare data every single day, whether it's through wearable devices or through medical devices, if we're in a disease management program or through uh, our uh, interactions with our with caregivers or our social networks, et cetera. So why don't we flip the model and why don't we have the interactions we have in our daily lives start to drive behaviors of the providers, rather than providers trying to drive behaviors of individuals, <laughs> why don't we have individuals start to drive providers? And so providers then know, hey, I understand this, pretend, this, this, these people in my population are healthy, they're active, they're okay, they're managed, but these folks over here are, they're, they're, not, contro they're not controlled, they haven't been recording their readings, whatever the case may be, and so mm -hmm. they can spend their time focused on those populations. And just one little tidbit about that, on, uh, for our program, when it rolls out to physicians, 88% of physicians say that our program saves them time. That was a stat that I still can't believe um, because Jeez. it's like anytime you implement technology, the first thing a provider says is, I don't need more data. I already have enough data. Like, why are you putting this technology in front of me that's just taking me further away from the patient? But this is actually helping providers practice at the top of their license where they don't have to be doing things like, taking down readings and, you know, catching up with, because the data is already there. It's already, it's, it's accurate, timely data. It's in the clinical workflow. They know who they need to be talking to and who they don't. And they can really just spend their time focused on the people who need the help, not trying to chase everybody to, to get uh, updates. Well, you've, you've really hit the nail on the head with positioning Validic to meet the, I think, current and future needs of the industry, which reminds me of this famous quote from Wayne Gretzky that you've uh, probably heard, and it's that you need to skate to where the puck is going, not where it has been. Could you talk a little bit about, you know, what's your secret sauce? How did you anticipate that these changes were going to happen in, in healthcare and, and kind of what's next? Where do you see the industry going? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's, <laughs> I, I, I did anticipate a lot of this, but again, it's better to be lucky than good sometimes. <laughs> it, it was, it was pretty, it was pretty clear um, when we were launching the company that, um, you know, devices like the Fitbits and apps like, you know, RunKeeper and, and MyFitnessPal, et cetera, were really the future because you could see the adoption curve and you could see everyone um, coming online with those. And then you could also see that clinical devices blood pressure monitors, glucose monitors, weight scales were absolutely vitally necessary for disease management, but most of those devices didn't yet have full connectivity. So many of them didn't have Bluetooth chips, et cetera. And so really what the way we looked at it is how do we architect a system that takes in, into account 
all of the devices that are possible to be connected and make them accessible in the future. And, you know, we got really lucky that, you know, the sort of the tides of value-based care and the need for understanding what's happening in people's lives just, you know, came to fruition and, <laughs> and we're, we're here to capture that. And as I look forward, the, the next sort of obvious things for me is that, again, we have fewer healthcare workers today to provide care to more people who are sicker. And so, mm-hmm. so in that instance, there's, there's, there's two, two key stakeholders that need to be more involved in the care than have been in the past. The first is the patient. And so a lot of times providers, it's, it's sort of a paternalistic, like, well, I'm going to, I'm going to tell this patient what to do. And, 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 uh, you know, when they come back, I'll let them know, I'll give them a report card on if they did well or not. And usually they don't, and I'll tell them to do it better. Right. I mean, that's kind of the way I'm being a little tongue in cheek, but that's kind of the Mm -hmm. way it works. But, you know, by, by flipping the model and having the person's health data actually driving the, the provider interactions and surfacing what data are important and having a conversation about the data, not just about, well, the patient may or may not be doing certain activities, you can start to drive real behavior change and have meaningful conversations with the provider and the patient. In our programs, over half of the patients feel uh, more, more ownership of their own health care. And so, and the other person that needs to be engaged is the caregiver, because as we're getting older, our parents and, you know, my grandparents are 90, they're both living at home in, in Iowa city, and we don't have any family members around them. We're constantly checking up on them. I'm very worried about them. They Mm -hmm. don't want to live in a graduated care facility. You know, that type of situation is more and more common. So we need to start to engage caregivers in the actual conversation as well. There's a uh, something I just read that there's over a half trillion dollars of unreimbursed family caregiver time happening in the United States, given the aging population. And so bringing those caregivers into the fold and creating solutions that that really build out a whole care team for an individual, not just a not just between the provider and the patient, but the whole you know, provider, the patient, their caregivers, I think is really um, important and, and going to be a signal to where the industry is going. Very true, and I, I completely agree. So you've you've been involved at the federal level in, in helping make some of the policy decisions, uh, specifically in the healthcare technology space. Um, what are your thoughts on the 21st Century Cures Act and, and how it will impact the industry, maybe in the short term and or long term? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm 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 very hopeful for it, and you know, um, a lot of the work that we did on the API task force from for meaningful use three um, was some of that work that went into the interoperability rules and I am certainly hopeful that the way the rules are structured will lead to much more free data flow for patients and for providers the one thing that the federal government is sort of fighting this challenge with one hand tied behind their back because mm. and, and it's like a, a big concern I have there, there's there's an intent behind the rule and then there's like a letter of the law and the challenge is that the, you know, the EMR vendors and the, and the health systems, they're always going to do what they need to do to satisfy the letter of the law, but it doesn't necessarily fully satisfy the full intent, right? Like the full intent is that at any point in time, I should be able to easily get my data from any health system and have it go somewhere else with just like a, just by saying like, yep, good to go, right? Like right. it should be a very easy thing to do. But the reality is that it's just, it's, it's still not. I mean, bringing disparate data systems together and having them work together in a way that, that is functional is just not as easy as it, as it should be. And the, what I wish we could take, and it's, this is not a practical policy 
uh, initiative. But what I wish we could do at the federal level is, is take a step back and rather than look at, you know, well, how do we incentivize the individual to get their records and share that? As an individual patient, I don't actually care where my health records are. I mean, I, I like the fact that I can download them on my phone and, and you know, that's, that's cool. Even, even with that, getting them from my phone to another provider is actually kind of difficult. What I would, what I would really like is that when I need care, wherever I need care, my health records are just already there. That's what right. I really care about. And that right there is what all patients care about. And that's hard to do because you can't, like, how do you incentivize that at a federal level? That's what, like, that's my only sort of bone to pick with, a, with the Cures Act is I wish that there was a way that we could actually make that possible where it's just true, honest data flow so long as the patient's in the loop, but just make it easier for them to just give a thumbs up and have data, you know, just literally flow anywhere it needs to go like water. I, I completely agree. And that, that's actually a good, good way of, of framing data. Um, it is like the, the water, the, the lifeblood of, of the health system. And, and I agree, it hasn't necessarily been, been flowing freely up until now. And hopefully that will change in the future. So we should probably also touch on cybersecurity risks that you know, come with interoperability. I know Validic recently earned certified status for information security by High Trust, which is an organization that provides a common security framework of controls that meet the requirements of multiple regulations and standards. Can you tell us a little bit more about Validic cybersecurity posture and any particular threats that keep you up at night? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is a, is a big topic. I'm, I'm glad we're having it, having this conversation. And I will say just first and foremost, getting the high trust certification and maintaining that, that certification, as well as we also have ISO 27001 and, and others like it, it's a big lift. And it's something that it really does impact, not necessarily negatively, but it does impact the processes and procedures of your company. It's much more around process and making sure that the the right things are in place on uh, in, internally, the right checks and balances are in place internally so that there's not a data leak, um, et cetera. Because most hacks come from human engineering, not from, not from software engineering, right? Generally speaking, there's, there's some sort of human vulnerability and that's how uh, bad actors are able to, to get access to a system. So it, it is a, uh, it's a very important topic. I will say that from our perspective, data security, has always been at the front front of our minds. I mentioned when we first launched the product, the very first thing we thought about was how can we help healthcare organizations trust that we have their data in our system? And so we we decided we we actually didn't need to know for our core data platform who individuals were or what their disease diagnosis was. So we de-identified those individuals and just tokened it. And mm. that kind of thought up front around what data do I actually need? to provide my service versus, you know, well, let's just get all the data. Like that was a very, um, it was a very intentional decision it ended up being, being a, a key to our early uh, and, and really in our ongoing success. Cause it's still something that comes up all the time when we're working with the, the largest healthcare organizations in the country. Um, they're like, well, how, how do we know that the data is de-identified and helping them understand that process. And then in terms of what keeps me up at night uh, around data security, you know, the, the types of data that we have are, um, generally speaking, fairly light, right? So we're talking about blood pressure values, 
uh, glucose values, weight values. We don't have a lot of a lot of the sort of um, what's in a medical record that would be considered to be very costly. <laughs> and mm-hmm. we certainly don't have things like a retail pharmacy might have things like in addition to to an individual's uh, health, um, they might also have credit card information and other sort of lifestyle information or addresses or you know, things like that. We, we, we fortunately don't have most of that information. So what, what does keep me up candidly is, uh, is reputation. If we did have a breach, uh, which we have not in our history, fortunately, like knock on wood, you know, if we did, the reputation hit would be much more concerning to me than the data that would be there because, because of the de-identification process. And that's the kind of thing that can really hurt a company at any stage, but especially a growth stage company like us, you know, we're not, uh, not yet, uh, you know, a multi-billion dollar uh, organization with, you know, billions of dollars in insurance, right? So mm-hmm. that, that's what, that's probably what mostly keeps me up at night around the data privacy and security and really what prompted us to charge headfirst into, you know, let's, bring on the data and privacy uh, personnel. Let's do the, you know, do the high trust and do the ISO 27001. Let's make sure that we're buttoned up there. It makes our laptops a little bit more annoying to use, but it also, but it also um, really helps to keep uh, privacy and security in the forefront of all of our employees' minds. Well, huge congratulations. That's a substantial achievement and and, uh, something to be very proud of. So we're nearing the end of our time, and I did want to ask if you have any advice for our listeners who are interested in digital health, how could they prepare for the future of healthcare delivery and specifically in this space? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think that if you're interested in digital health, first and foremost, that is great because it, it is the future of healthcare. And, you know, there, there will become a time not too long from now where we're just saying healthcare and it is all digital. Um, you know, there's a there's an image that I have in my mind that I'm sure everyone has seen like a stock photo where there's, you know, a physician or two physicians in front of just a, a wall of screens with a bunch of patient data and they're sort of looking at it. And, you know, we see like we, we see that and we think like, yes, that is the future of healthcare, right? It's sort of like physicians almost as, you know, as 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 health guides and and really helping helping to empower people in, in their own health and helping to navigate, you know, some, some particularly choppy waters, but largely being kind of air traffic control and just making sure that things are going right. We are so far away from that in the traditional healthcare system. And so what I would say, if you're interested in this space, go toward organizations that are driving the, uh, driving the country toward value alignment between health plans and health systems and, and people. Because at the end of the day, we as individuals don't want to be thinking about, you know, the uh, charges on our bill for fee-for-service care and like how much a particular meal costs we we're in the, in the hospital or, you know, how much a room charge was or, you know, there's, there's so many like hidden fees inside of the fee-for-service healthcare system that have nothing to do with our actual healthcare. And when you start to align value from the payer perspective with the provider perspective and really just provide good care, you know, spending that extra day in the health in the hospital might make the most sense to having better recovery, right? Eating higher quality food in the hospital might end up having a better, better result in your outcome. Like there's so many things that all of a sudden naturally align with how we want to live our lives. So I would, I would make sure that we're not just moving the technology forward, but we're also 
moving forward with by by um, helping to lift up organizations that are really driving that shift to value. Well, that's really valuable advice. Thank, thanks for sharing that perspective. And thank you for taking the time to be with us today. I've really enjoyed learning more about your background. And, and to be honest, can't wait to see what you're going to do next. Yeah, thanks so much. And thanks to our listeners for tuning into the Six Degrees podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. That's all for today. See you next time. Yeah.